Hey, everybody, it's JT from Grilling at the Green. John Breaker and the great folks at Birdie Ball have a short time offer for all of you listeners. You just go to birdieball.com, and when you place your order, there's a place on that form for a discount code. Use G-A-T-G. That's G-A-T-G. Of course, it stands for Grilling at the Green. And you will get 20% off anything you order from birdieball.com. Now, it's a short-time offer. It expires in about a week, so you want to get on it. Go to birdieball.com, place your order, uh, use the code G-A-T-G, and get 20% off. You heard it here on Grilling at the Green. It's time for Grilling at the Green. Join Jeff Tracy as he explores the golfing lifestyle and tries to keep it in the short grass for the hackers, dew sweepers, and turf spankers. Here's Jeff. Just open up the door and let's take good times in. Hey everybody, welcome to Grilling at the Green. I'm your host, JT. We'd like to thank the folks over at Painted Hills Natural Beef, Beef the Way Nature Intended, and also the folks at Ben Hogan Golf, home of the Ben Hogan Golf Demo Program. No risk, no obligation. Uh, BenHoganGolf.com. So, uh, speaking of Ben Hogan, we've Got my friend Kurt Sampson back on the show today, who just uh, touched down a few days ago from being across the pond, doing a little golfing, among other things. But he's one of the um, folks that wrote one of the books about Mr. Hogan. And uh, I've read a number of them, and I actually think Kurt's is the best. And so uh, welcome back to the show, Kurt. Uh, Jeff, thank you very much for having me. It's uh, always a pleasure to talk with you. Well, I, thank you. Well, we always have managed to have fun, too. Um, so let's jump into this. There's this enigma about Ben Hogan, and well-deserved. The man had some incredible accomplishments, overcame really terrible hardships at times in his life. Uh, but there's also things that maybe get blown out of proportion a little bit about him. Um, that's mm-hmm. for that's for everybody to decide for themselves. But I wanted your take on that today. You know, we know the man. We know he got hurt. We know his, about his childhood. You wrote extensively about that. Give us, first of all, Kurt, an overview of Hogan, and then we'll jump into some particulars. Of course. Um, he, uh, Ben Hogan, was uh, part of the mid uh, 20th century triumvirate uh, in golf with Byron Nelson and Sam Snead. He was the, the quiet one of, of that trio. Uh, Snead was a little noisy and folksy and, uh, and played up that image. Uh, Byron was um, a, a well-met, uh, friendly man um, uh, and never met a stranger. Um Hogan only met strangers, I think, yeah. <laughs> to extend uh, that. He uh, did not melt. He was uh, – Nelson called him shy. Um, it, later in life, he became uh, basically reclusive, uh, but he, and not really a people person. Um, and that's part of his uh, part of his charisma, his mystique, I guess – that he kept his big mouth shut. I mean, he didn't have a big mouth. He kept his mouth shut like Greta Garbo. And, and there's something about a silent person that makes people assume a lot. Um, and the assumption about Ben Hogan was that 
he was uh, harboring secrets about, especially about golf and the golf swing. You know, that's one of the big things. It's like, you know, when he said, I found the secret and everybody went nuts and they're trying to guess what it is. You and I talked about this briefly before. I just think it's a lot of practice because he always said he dug it out of the dirt. I just think it was a lot of practice and he, and he honed his own uh, particular swing. Your thoughts? Agreed. Yes. Uh, uh, you, uh, Dan Jenkins and I are on the, on the same, uh, have the same analysis of that. He was almost shouting it to us that uh, that practice was his key. Um, but uh, on the other hand, he, there was a, a bit of, Oh, why don't I, eventually I came to think of it as a kind of a cynical, uh, an opportunistic, um, point of view that he had in which uh, people were, became quite convinced he had a a secret. So he kind of invented a couple of secrets. It was the, um, and, and based uh, on a three part magazine um, uh, piece or, or series about that. And it was a, it was baloney, a little bit of uh, curling the left wrist under and, uh, and something with the grip. That's not a secret. That's not a, a wide benefit. Um, it's golf is idiosyncratic. If that's the right word at any rate, it means I, I think things are a little bit different in every, in every golfer and in, in every swing. Sure. So I, I guess that makes me, not a huge fan of instruction, which is so often a one size fits all situation. And after all, Ben Hogan's main insight had to do with never hitting a hook. He uh, hooks really troubled him early in his golf career, but most of the rest of us, 90% of us are slicers. The hackers mm-hmm. want to hit a hook. So it was fool's gold. I thought uh, a good deal of Hogan instruction. On the other hand, his, uh, his book, uh, five lessons provided a, a textbook for um, teaching professionals that's still used today. Oh, absolutely. And if you ever see, um, you know, videos or movie clips and stuff of Hogan's swing, I mean, it's elegant. It's just fluid and elegant and he just hits it and he's got the right pose at the end and he does everything, excuse me, correctly. Um, Very much so. Yeah. But any, but you take, you're tall, I'm tall. uh, We do our best to emulate that, but it's not going to look like Ben Hogan's. I can tell you that, you know, it's It's, it's not going to, not going to work for us either. Think about his physiognomy. He's, Claimed five eight, I think he was five seven, but he had these uh, monkey arms. They were very long, strong arms that didn't exactly fit with his body, and that was a big part of the of his swing and a big part of why it looked so good. I think uh, there are other long armed uh, golf professionals who have had the the prettiest swings. I'm thinking now about Steve Elkington. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, yeah, and you can't. I mean, my arms are average. I think your arms are probably average, and they just they only go so far, you know. They're, but they're... your arms are bulging with muscles, Jeff. <laughs> I've noticed uh, you've got some guns there, my man. <laughs> well, I used to. I think they're 
I think the guns are turning more into squirt guns or something. I don't think they're 45 cal anymore. You know what I mean, Kurt? There's, <laughs> we're getting there. When, <clears throat> when Hogan made his comeback, hold on a second. Sorry about that. I had to clear my throat. When Hogan was making his comeback after the, the accident, uh-huh. uh, um, you know, he put up with a lot and the routine you explain in the book about, you know, him having the, the hot baths and the wrapping the legs. And, and if, if anybody's read about Hogan, they pretty much know that, but I gotta, you know, he was probably the t- most tenacious guy. I would say maybe tiger was second with his injuries, but Hogan seems to me to be the most tenacious guy to play through pain out there. I, I think uh, the tiger uh, comparison is apt. Uh, I, I agree with you on that for, all the uh, personality flaws of, of Tiger Woods, you've got to admire how hard uh, that guy has has worked. I, I think, I have not heard him say it, but I think he's a pretty frank admirer of Ben Hogan himself. Um, not so much in style or personality, but a, a couple of things, the, the work ethic, the uh, and this, I think Hogan may have been the first guy to treat a tee ball, a driver, as if it were uh, a shot to a par three. A very careful aiming, a meticulous uh, working uh, of the ball with the longest club. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Woods does that too, um, probably in his prime, better than anyone. Yeah, I, I would I would say that's probably. Uh probably a a very good analogy here, Kurt. Um, We're going to take a break here. I want to remind you too, again, to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef and Ben Hogan Golf, home of the Hogan demo program, No Risk, No Obligation. I know that sounds kind of funky that we're doing a show about Ben Hogan and Ben Hogan Golf, although they really don't have a lot to do with each other anymore because one, Ben's gone, and two, it's... uh, It's just the name of the company. But anyway, we will be back in just a minute with Kurt Sampson right after this. Hi, everybody. It's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Hey, welcome back to Grilling at the Green here on AM860, The Answer, WEEU, back in Pennsylvania and on the Golf News Net. Uh, This show is going to be part of the Golf News Network's new streaming uh, um, golf radio station coming up the first of the year. Uh, We'd like to thank the folks over at Langdon Farms Grill for their participation in this show and and invite you to uh, go and do their Friday night prime rib special. That's at Langdon Farms right right there off of I-5. We're talking with Kurt Sampson today, the author of a the book called Hogan, you know, I, I, I didn't really realize this till I looked it up this morning. Um, 
you published this book in 96. Hogan died in 97. Did he ever see this book that you wrote? I'm sure he did not. Um, uh, he was around the bend uh, first mentally and then physically. Um, his wife uh, was still, she was very protective and she was hovering around him. And, sure. and that's another story, not a pleasant one. Um, and I don't think she read it either, but um, someone must have read a paragraph or two to her uh, in which um, I, I quoted uh, Ben Hogan um, using a GD or, yeah. or other colorful um, expression, and that made her hit the roof. Um, she had some unpleasant things to say about me and claimed that her husband never swore. Well, I was around the guy when, when he swore. <laughs> this is a high school dropout who had some U.S. military and he was in the caddy yard and he was a golfer. He swore. I don't take, I don't find that to be uh, shocking or um, immoral or illegal, but she hated the very idea. Um, so she disavowed the book. Well, that I, that's unfortunate because <clears throat> I'm sure Hogan did speak fluent golf, as I call it. And, um, you know, he, he's going to do that. He's, he's from Texas. He's, like you said, in the caddy yard. He had a tough time when he was a kid. Uh, you know, he was, he always, this analogy kind of sticks in my mind, Kurt, is that I went to school with some, some kids kind of the same height and, and, shape of Hogan, if you will. They weren't golfers, of course, but they had tough, uh -huh. tough home lives. And they were always very, they were tough kids. They were just tough kids. You know, they, uh, they had to survive and they were working when they were 11 and 12 years old. And, yeah. you know, most of us kids were playing, you know, Pop Warner uh, football or something. And, um, and so, yeah, I'm pretty sure Hogan spoke fluent golf, but that we touched on there is the enigma about Hogan and the, the carefully crafting over the years, this image, um, you know, he was a sharp dressed guy. He loved fine clothes, except they were always kind of subdued in a color schemes. You know, he wasn't going to walk out yes. like Jimmy Demerit did or, or Jack Nicholas always, uh, yellow on Sunday and that kind of stuff. He was very subdued mm -hmm. in that, but they were really high quality. And I think maybe that stemmed also. He liked those things because he didn't have anything when he was a kid. Yes. Uh, furthermore, he became very meticulous about his food. It had to be the best. He's the kind of guy who sent back his entree. Um, the kind of guy who'd actually go in the kitchen to show um, how he liked to have his um eggs prepared or his deal or whatever it was on, on the menu. He grew into his role as a, as a very successful golfer and then a successful businessman. And as you say, you know, he was, uh, there's a, the element of um, the poverty and being small that I think made him feel like he was always defending himself and maybe put that, uh, that chip on, the, on his shoulder Gosh, not to even mention that his father was a suicide and uh, Ben was 
nine-year-old Ben was right there when the when his when his dad shot himself in the uh, in the heart. Yeah, that's always a <clears throat> that that's something you never get over. I fear um, it's always there. Probably with you. not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're little, but you know, I I give him credit. Uh, I saw the guy one time um, at the golf course in the corner eating lunch. We were we were doing a I was doing horse shows in those days, and we went there for lunch, but, you know, and they were kind of like, that's Mr. Hogan. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, don't go over there. Okay. <laughs> you, know, <it's> like, <clears throat> you, you will be sadly uh, disappointed if you go and try to talk to him. So I, and that was, you know, that was in the late eighties, early nineties. I don't recall which year it was, but probably by that time, um, and and after reading your book and some other ones that uh, he was starting to, his, his mental capacities and stuff were starting to fail too. So it, it probably would have been disappointing to talk to him if in fact he would have talked. And you might've been asked to leave the premises if you, uh, if you had, you know, been very aggressive about engaging the guy yeah. uh, in conversation. It, there were there were rules about that there, uh, but also you know if the situation was right, he was quite an affable uh, man in his his old age. Um, and he'd come in the club and it, uh, he'd, he'd smile and uh, wave to everyone um, and say good morning. Um, who was giving him the same greeting? Huh. And he he had the, uh, an affinity, especially for. Uh, the TCU women's golf team. He he liked lady golfers, and he liked to uh, help help them along if he could. Yeah, we have a lady up here, Julie Miller, who was one of his disciples, and he uh, uh, she's a teacher, a golf teacher now, golf instructor. But he, yeah, I just yeah, excuse me, Jeff, for interrupting, but I I thought this might be interesting to you that. Um, I, as his first real biographer, he uh, had al always said that if he were to write an autobiography, it would only be with a woman writer. Oh yeah, um, that was that's quite interesting. I, I I think I'm not exactly sure what it what it means. Uh, um, just uh, I, I guess that. Um, women are, are biologically more the, the nurturing uh, gender, and um, yeah, in, in many cases, um, uh, my favorite gender. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kurt and I are going to take a break. <laughs> uh, we'll be back here on Grilling at the Green. Just a shake. Don't go away. Hey, it's JT, and this part of Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Ben Hogan Golf. Check them out online at BenHoganGolf.com. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green here on AM860, The Answer, WEEU in Pennsylvania and the Golf News Network. We're talking with Kurt Sampson today. Uh, thank the folks again at Painted Hills and Ben Hogan Golf for supporting this show. So, Kurt, um, what's the biggest thing when you wrote this book that you learned about Mr. Hogan? I, I, I guess it was it was this, Jeff. 
Um, and it was very convenient for me. Although um, I, I had, uh, Hogan had um, directed his uh, secretary to open up his files. I was allowed to have a, a look. Um, so he was cooperative in his way. Not that he talked to me, um, except for a couple of brief conversations. Sure. My the surprise was that virtually everybody who ever teed it up with the guy had a story. They they they, they wanted to share it. Uh, they they became uh, rather similar uh, with repetition. The uh, the, uh, the the themes repeated, but the guy was so effective. Uh, with an A, I think, if I'm <laughs> okay. using the word correctly, um, or affecting, that would, that's better, that he would be, became unforgettable for uh, anyone who played a practice round or a tournament round with him or um, uh, shook hands with him in the dining room. Uh, it was a story. Uh, and, and that helped me uh, fill up the not fill up the book, but inform the book. Uh, fill up makes it sound like I, I needed filling. It really didn't. He was a big personality, a big figure in golf and in, uh, frankly, in the middle of the 20th century, uh, a major figure. Well, it's almost like you're meeting a deity at times. Um, you know, it's like if you walked into a restaurant and Tiger came in and sat down at the table next to you and said, hey, how you doing? you know, and shook your hand or something and, and chatted and you made a joke and he laughed and he told the joke and then you went on, you would have a tiger story. I'm, I'm sure, mm -hmm. I'm sure that that's probably similar. The guys that played a whole round or several rounds with him, you know, that's one thing, but, um, I think any crossing paths with somebody like Mr. Hogan was, was kind of, um, like you said, you know, you had your own Hogan story and that's important to people, you know? You probably remember the one Don January always told. Here he is, a uh, a callow uh, youth, uh, not really, uh, but a, a fairly inexperienced professional paired with Hogan. And um, at the end of their tournament round, um, he very uh, gingerly, cautiously went up to the great man and said, uh, did you notice notice anything with my swing today and hogan uh, these these stories are always punctuated by uh hogan taking a long drag on his uh, chesterfield <laughs> cigarette and uh hogan inhaled blew out the smoke and said there's something wrong with your elbow so january he said well thank you mr hogan and goes back and works like heck on his um, something with his left elbow and then eventually comes to find out that uh, Hogan was referring to the other elbow. <laughs> it was uh, that kind of thing. I, I, I've enjoyed um, talking to Don January about uh, Hogan and all the, all the old pros who played with him. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think that um, Hogan's surprise after, after the accident and they got lots of get well, wishes from people and cards and not just people on the tour and demerit and some of those guys that actually would go see him. And when he was in hospital and what have you, but in the book, it sounded to me like he was very surprised that people actually were rooting for him. They liked him. He, he had that, that kind of insecurity that people maybe didn't like him. And all of a sudden he found out that 
you know, the world was cheering for him. I found that really fascinating. I think there's another way to look at that, and it's uh, because of uh, something Valerie said um, in the aftermath of the accident. She said, and it's probably true, but it could have been an instinctive move, that uh, just before their Cadillac impacted with the Greyhound bus, that her uh, husband threw himself in front of her to save her life. It may well be true. It, it, it may have had elements of, uh, you know, sure. getting out of the way himself. But the, the, she said that and kept saying it, and uh, the newspapers took it and ran. So Ben was not just an injured, a wounded warrior, but a, a, a heroic figure. And I think that um, helped um, cause the little tidal wave, not that's, 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 that's stupid. Tidal waves are never little, the, the, the great surge uh, in his popularity. Yeah. I just found that that was kind of really interesting because um, it just seemed like he was kind of shocked almost. And then with that, mm -hmm. you know, the addition of him saving her life and, 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 and taking those actions that he did. And, and then, also, the tenacity of him, you know, I'm going to walk, I'm going to play golf again. And it was, you know, a year or a little over a year when he when he did play golf again. I think, you know, Americans in general like heroes. They like winners. They like, you know, I think that's, one of, you know, that's one of the reasons when Tiger came back uh, after all his foibles and then had a winning season, then he had another back surgery, and I don't have to explain this to you because you wrote a book on it, but my point is we're always willing to kind of set aside um, personal foupas as if you're if you're good at what you do. You know, I think that's, and I'm, I'm, I'm that way. <laughs> I just have to be honest with you, Kurt. I'm that way. You know, sure. Uh, winning goes a, a long way, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, um, that that's the other element in the in the uh, personalities, especially the sports personalities we latch on to. Yeah, it's it's really amazing how they how they do that. Um, quick question, then we'll go to break here, Kurt. When you were looking in Hogan's files and they l allowed you access to it like that, was there anything that surprised you that you found? Yes, his name um, uh, for virtually his his life. Uh, he was known as Ben or Benjamin Hogan. In fact, some guy wrote a wrote a book uh, that, and, and what she you know for a dramatic emphasis from here to there. Uh, from time to time, he'd talk about Benjamin Hogan. Well, he his name was William Ben Hogan. And uh, that wasn't widely out there. The, the basic fact of his of his name and Hogan wasn't going to bother correcting the error. Also, uh, since I looked at his birth certificate, he wasn't born where everyone said he was born. Um, he was. It was written forever that he was born in Dublin, Texas. He he, he wasn't. He was. It's another little town in central Texas called Stephenville. Yep. So, you know, <laughs> it's just. Uh, that, that book's part of what made him uh, quite interesting to me. He didn't give a 
a damn um, about the, the, the media uh, and about what was written about him. It just wasn't on his radar. It didn't help him win. Sure. Uh, speaking of helping somebody win, here's Bruce Furman with his golf tip of the week. Hi, this is Bruce Furman. I'm the director of instruction out at Langdon Farms Golf Club, and I'm going to give you a little tip today. And should you get your golf ball uh, fitted, should you? They do fittings at the different clubs and and different manufacturers do Titleist and all the different ones do that. And there are differences in golf balls, so I think it would behoove you if you're a serious golfer to get fit for the right golf ball. Uh, the two piece balls are the ones that go the farthest. So if you need more distance, they go go the farthest, uh, and they spin the less, so they're not quite as good around the greens. And they are the cheapest balls, so if you're you know, on a budget, that's the ball to get, or you're more of a beginner. Something like the Titleist Velocity or the Callaway Hex Diablo, those are the two-piece balls. Then they have three-piece balls. Those are pretty good for your regular average players. They, they're good for moderate swing speeds, and there's a lot of those. I'm not going to get into all those. And then there's the multi-layer balls, the four-piece and five-piece balls. And they're the more costly ones. They're they're like the Pro V1X or the TaylorMade TP5. And they're actually designed to to spin less with the driver and a little more with the wedges around the green. And everybody, if you're a beginner or or so forth, you think you might need that ball. But I think you're better off getting fit for the right ball for you and not just stepping up and trying to buy the most expensive ball or the ball the pros use. So keep that in mind when you go to buy golf balls. Thanks. Thank you, Bruce. We appreciate that. You can find out more uh, about Bruce Furman or go get a lesson for him, for him, from him, not for him, down at Langdon Farms in Aurora. Kurt Sampson and I will be back and wrap up the show right after this. You're listening to Grilling at the Green on AM860. Hi, everybody. It's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green uh, here on AM860, The Answer, and Golf News Net, and WEEU, and all that, this and that, and everything. And you can reach out to us. If you just want to send me an email, just golf at pdx, uh, pdx.com. Talking with Kurt Sampson today, um, author of the book, Hogan. You know, this book was done 25 years ago, and it's still very relevant. Uh, I'm going to say that as somebody who likes to read Kurt's work. But it is, it's full of great information. There's been lots of other books written about Hogan. A lot of them are this and that. You know, I'll let you decide for yourself. But uh, you can still find this book out there. I would suggest you read it. So one thing we talked about on the phone the other day, and I wanted to get this in before the end of the show. There are a lot of people in the golf media world. Uh, Dan Jenkins led the charge because he knew Hogan. He played golf with Hogan. They were buddies uh, or so. And then there's other ones that are on TV now that keep referring to always Mr. Hogan, Mr. Hogan, you know, this and that. I think that's fine to, to give the guy his due, but sometimes I think they've tried to create him like this mythical being on a pedestal out there. Your thoughts? I, I get that. I, I, and I agree with you. I, um, he, he was, after all, uh, a man. Um, he, 
this was, uh, I don't, I don't think I've written this, but I remember early on in my, uh, acquaintance with the guy, because I, I, I didn't know him, but I, I observed him a lot for a year or two because I played some golf at, at Shady Oaks. I was on the phone to my, my father and I just used the vernacular uh, that was in use then and is in use now, uh, and referred to him as Mr. Hogan. And my father just went off on me, um, because my father, um, um, was a world war II combat veteran. And he knew that, uh, uh Ben Hogan spent the war playing golf with generals. Um, right. and, and he, he didn't find the guy, uh, deserved the honorific automatically because he is a wonderful golfer. Uh, I don't know the debatable point. He, the guy, he, Ben Hogan deserved a lot of respect and demanded it. Um, but I, I, I don't, I don't refer to him as Mr. Hogan. Um, although every one of my friends does. Yeah. Well, and I understand that. I mean, Plus, I was always taught to be, you know, respectful of my elders. And so. But, but Jeff, it's not Mr. Palmer or Mr. Nicholas. Um, no, it's Arnie that, and Jack. That, or, or Mr. Woods. Tiger. No, yeah. Yeah, they're first names. Yeah. And even in even before Hogan, what, you know, when you look at Demerit and, and um, uh, you know, they don't say Mr. Bobby Jones. They just say Bobby Jones. And. So it's, I don't know, whoever, you know, I think companies like IMG and some of these marketing and sports agents, maybe the Hogan and and Valerie and stuff set the template for how to protect sports figures by the way she did it with with Ben. How's that for a theory? Uh, pretty good, Jeff. Um, that, that is, and quite true at that near the end of his life, she just parceled out little pieces uh, of, uh, of uh, Hogan. So did her friends uh, or, or the others in the immediate circle. They, they um, and circle is the right word. They, they were very protective of him. He seemed though at times, we've only got a couple minutes left, Kurt, and I know you got to get somewhere, but he seemed at times too, like, you know, out of sight, he was kind of a generous guy. You've got a story in there about there was one of the golfers, that he was playing with maybe on the Ryder cup team. Yeah, it was on the Ryder cup team and he had a little trouble and Hogan gave him a thousand bucks to help him out. And you have to read the book. So I'm not going to tell you why the guy was in trouble and Kurt, you wrote it. So you already know, but <laughs> my point is, is that he would seem to help people at times, but didn't really want anybody to know about it. I, I think that's true. It, it goes back to the um, extreme privacy of the man. Uh, uh, it, it's not a not a guy to uh, trumpet uh, the times he did well by doing good, uh, I, and I, I have uh, respect for that for sure. Kurt Sampson, author of uh, Numbers, a book. What have you got? Fourteen, fifteen? No, uh, uh, nineteen. But no. who's counting? And who's counting? Me. And the, the book that he wrote here was Hogan. Um, this was published in 96. You can still find it out there in bookstores and stuff and, uh, probably uh, used a widely available and paperback and, uh, uh, e-book downloads. It's, uh, I'm very gratified that it's still selling pretty well. Yeah, it does. Kurt, thank you. I'll let you get to your appointment and we will talk again soon, my friend. 
Thanks for having me, Jeff. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, no problem. Uh, we'll be back next week with another edition of Grilling at the Green. Until then, be kind to somebody. Take care. Grilling at the Green is produced by JTSD Productions, LLC, in association with Salem Media Group, all rights reserved.